Jeez, uh, good to go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Vapor F1 podcast. Today, I'm joined by Joshua Fletcher and Callum Owen. Uh, Callum McAvoy isn't with us this time. Um, I'm sure we'll be back in the future um, at some point. Um, but obviously, everyone's very busy at the moment, so we can't blame him. Um, but Josh and, and Callum Owen are here as well. Uh, we're going to look back at the predictions we made um, for the Spanish Grand Prix and, and look back at the Spanish Grand Prix as a whole and look at some of the incidents that, that took place. Then we've got loads of news which has come out in the last two or three weeks um, that we're going to be lo- looking through and talking through. And then this weekend, it's Monaco, uh, the unfamiliar Monaco. Just to remind everybody, practice is on Thursday. We'll give you a reminder at the end as well. Um, but obviously, Thursday practice, bank holiday Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, the normal qualifying and race. So Monaco is what we've got to look forward to. Um, and we'll be making our predictions for that. First of all, we'll start off with the Spanish Grand Prix. And obviously, uh, Joshua, you weren't with us last time. So I'm no. going to come to Callum first. Um, Callum, last time you predicted a Hamilton Bottas Verstappen um, podium in that order. Um, we did get that podium, but it obviously was in a different order. Um, you also predicted a top three collision. And obviously, um, we saw the Verstappen um, getting his elbows out into turn one right at the very start of the race. But what did you make of that battle? Well, I mean, considering it was a wild card prediction, for them to come centimetres apart, I'll take as a victory. But I thought, I mean, it was good. It showed that Max, I think we knew he wouldn't back down from a fight. But I think this really confirms that he had a better first phase of a start, but Hamilton sort of clawed his start back and it did need a big, a big move into turn one from Verstappen to get a good race. And I think... Hamilton deserves credit because he was, you need a compliant rival if you're going to go for a big move. And Hamilton was, he backed out when he saw it was that or a collision. And um, I think we got a very good race because of that 10-1 move. And um, Joshua, what did you make of it from your perspective? Obviously, obviously as a Hamilton fan, because um, my dad kind of said to me, yeah, Verstappen's got past him, but Mercedes will just win on the strategy, which is eventually what happened because Verstappen will just shoot off into the distance, won't really be able to manage his tyres and then Lewis will just come straight back at him. What, what did you make of it? Yeah, I think it was a better race than anything we were expecting. You sort of look at those type of circuits, it's usually quite boring in terms of sort of quite predictable, let us overtake opportunities. Um, but again, as well, we come back to it every time, although I'm sort of more Hamilton fan than any other driver it's it's just good to see good quality racing and to see Verstappen try it and it's it's his first real like serious opponent since Rosberg like you sort mm. of see Bottas is there but not quite and Verstappen sort of fell quite a bit short last season it's proving to be probably the most exciting season we've seen in four or five years now um I mean ultimately in the end Mercedes won on a very good strategy um surprised that it the way it turned out, but please overall, but good to see quality racing, more importantly. Okay, so Callum, um, I'll come to you next. Josh has just talked about this kind of Max versus Lewis battle. What do you think the difference is here? Is it the fact that, you know, maybe Lewis has got that little bit more experience, the cars are relatively similar in terms of, you know, some are better on one circuit, the other one's better on another. Do you think that now it's behind the scenes where, where, the differences between Mercedes and Red Bull in, ter- in terms of the strategist and, and things like that? I think I think it's a really complex sort of... It'll be a really complex championship because I feel like going into Monaco, it's almost must-win for Max Verstappen. He's 
two races down against Hamilton and Hamilton's starting to form a little bit of a gap to Verstappen. So I do really think this weekend's important that Verstappen maximises his weekend. I think off the track, they're very evenly matched. They're both great teams, very well run. I think the key will come down to the second drivers this year. I think Mercedes are, can get this sort of strategic freedom because Red Bull never have a second driver running in a position to stop Mercedes. So I yeah. think I think you know, when Red Bull have a driver, hopefully Sergio Perez, when Sergio Perez is in the position to stifle the Mercedes strategy, we'll really see a completely fair fight between Max and Lewis. And Callum, you've led me on to it perfectly there um, because we saw this, um, you know, Bottas, say, uh, Bottas being told, don't hold Lewis up was, was what he was told. Um, Joshua, we've probably seen, you've probably seen the Netflix documentary, um, you know, Bottas in that, that, I think it was Russia, wasn't it, where they featured that he had to let Lewis through and, and he was obviously just devastated and, and really upset after that. And since then, we've seen some kind of Bottas trying to get into Lewis's head a little bit. What do you make of this thing? Do you think Lewis and, and Valtteri could become a little bit toxic in, in the future in terms of Bottas? Because Bottas clearly didn't want to let Lewis through in, in Spain. You know, he, he turned in on him into turn 10 and Lewis did get past eventually. But, but what do you think? How's that, how's that bond going to work for the rest of the season with Bottas? Obviously, he, he wants to win the World Championship as well, just as much as Lewis does, surely. And, and surely has the capability of doing that as well. I think it's really interesting because I think a lot of people sort of just see it as 20 drivers drive around a circuit and whoever's at the front at the end wins. But as much as it is sort of you individually drive your own car, it's a team sport. Um, you have a strategy, you have two drivers that represent one organisation most of the time. Um, and I think in order to maximise your chances of success as a team, you've got to put your best foot forward. And for Mercedes, that's Lewis Hamilton. And I think... Although they never would say we have a number one or number two, everyone knows, I think inside Mercedes, no, Toto Wolf knows Hamilton's your number one driver. And Valtteri has to accept it. And if he doesn't like it, move on or look to move on. Um, if he's not going to be able to challenge and if he's not going to be able to be given the facilities to challenge Lewis. Um, you have every right to defend, but if you're given an instruction as a team member, you follow through with it and... Uh, you, you can understand why, but I think you also have to look at it as saying it, it's probably not been the best relationship either of them had in sport. And maybe it's best if they move on from that, whether they both mm -hmm. leave, whether Valtteri goes, Hampton retires, where that goes. But I think at the end of the season, I think we'll see one of one of them move on. Mm. And Callum, my, my question to you is... is where does Bottas go? Because obviously he's a number two driver at Mercedes, but where would he be a number one driver if Perez got booted out of Red Bull this season? You wouldn't say he was a it'd be a number one there. If he went to Ferrari, Leclerc would probably still be, you know, the favourite out of the two of them. Aston Martin, Vettel would probably be the more senior driver. And I don't think Stroll would ever get kicked out of there anyway. Alpine, again, if Alonso stayed, he'd probably be the senior driver. So what does Bottas do to actually get that number one status apart from beat Hamilton where else would he go to, to get that I think it's tough because I think a lot of the midfield sides he probably doesn't get number one status I think, it, I think if you look at McLaren he's not going to go there because they're very set on their lineup. I think I think Williams is the most realistic landing point for Bottas 
I think because if he's going to leave Mercedes, I feel like George Russell will take his spot. So there'll be a seat at Williams. He'll be the team leader there. And granted, they're not a front-running team, but with new regulations in 2022 and a team that gave him his first F1 chance, it does seem like it could be a natural fit. I think Aston Martin's there as an outside chance should they drop Vettel. But I think a big thing with Aston Martin is the idea of having a four-time champion and looking towards next year as well, seems as they've struggled for the start of this year. So I think Williams, if, if not Mercedes, Williams for Bottas mm. next year. And Joshua, what do you think about that? What's what's next or what, what's the future for Valtteri Bottas, not only kind of for the rest of this season, but but beyond that? I mean, barring complete failure and disaster in the fight, like across the rest of the season for Hamilton of this happen, he's not going to win or challenge for the championship. Um, I don't know if he'll go back to Williams. I think if he if he stays in the sport, it's it's the most obvious fit. But uh, I'm not sure um, what happens, and I think he might retire or he might seek opportunities elsewhere like we saw with Rosberg's on punditry Grosjean's gone to do something else if that's the yeah. more realistic way to go I'm just thinking as well just just for Williams obviously I think Nicholas Latifi probably unless something went disastrously wrong and he's probably finishing behind the house kind of consistently for the rest of the season I think he'll probably be there next year um, and there's some, if George Russell does go to Mercedes and Bottas leaves and there's also some good drivers in Formula 2 that could, could easily take um take that seat you know you've got the likes of I think Jack Aitken still around isn't he uh, Roy Nassani who's obviously their observed driver this year um, a couple of others that, that are kind of in the pipeline that could go in at Williams so yeah I think it would be interesting and and obviously I remember Kimi Raikkonen was asked this year about do you feel like you're maybe taking a seat that a young driver could have and maybe Bottas may feel that way if he went to Williams it's certainly a debate to be had there um, Callum McAvoy is not with us um, predicted there would be no safety car or no major incidents um, in the Spanish Grand Prix. I think we can probably all agree that there wasn't really a major incident. We did have a safety car. Um, Yuki Snowder pulled over on the side of the road um, in the, the opening couple of laps, which, which caused the safety car to come out. Um, I don't want to focus on that too much, uh, Callum, but obviously the way Snowder spoke about his team, both after qualifying and, and after the race, what do you think about that? Do you think uh, you know the, the Red Bull seniors and Alpha Tauri seniors aren't, aren't going to like that, are they? I'm not sure if I think uh, Red Bull senior helmet Marco. Really, you have you can you have no idea what he likes or dislikes. So like it could change. I mean, remember last year he wanted to get his four drivers. He wanted them to have COVID so they wouldn't miss the rest of the season. So I wouldn't. If I'm Yuki Snowder, I wouldn't be too worried about what the higher ups are thinking. As as a fan, as a spectator, I don't I don't like it. I don't like the way that he sort of carries himself. Over there, I think he's he's a brilliant racer and he's great and he deserves to be in F1. But I think four races in, five races in, where we are, and he's swearing at his engineers, he's screaming and shouting. I think the first maybe preseason testing and the first race, it was a bit, it was funny, it was all right, and now I'm a little bit, it's sort of worn off for me, and I'm, he need, I think he needs to just get his head down. He is, I think he's maybe been unlucky this season, but I still think he's left performance on the track so I think he needs to find that before he spends any more time screaming and shouting on the radio I think it's a really difficult one because on the one hand while, while you were saying that I was thinking you know it's, it's really nice to see that in Formula 1 a bit refreshing a, a new driver that's coming in is confident and then 
there's the other side, yeah, where it could be a little bit irritating, kind of like, you know, everybody in Alpha Tauri and in Formula One is going to be like, whoa, hang on a minute, we were here before you. Who do you think you are coming in? You can scream and shout at everyone. Joshua, what, what's your take on, on Yuki Tsunoda? I agree. I sort of, you look at that first race and he pulled off the overtakes on Alonso and he, he was like, fight like we've got the next generation now, sort of. You sort of see the, uh, the rookies last year or two years ago. Albon, Norris, Russell, exciting. Latifi never really hit the heights or the hype everyone else got. And you're like, Ryan, we've got a new one in. He's exciting. He's pulling on these overtakes. He's doing really well. In a team, you'll, put, you'll probably get the red ball seat in a couple of years. If sort of things don't go the Perez's way or Clapton leaves with this contract clause. And then it's just sort of fallen flat a bit. And he's starting to annoy people now and get frustrated. I know he apologised for his actions, but I mean, it's a well and good apologising. But if that's how you feel, you're going to you're gonna go out and do it. And it's, there's not really any reason for it. Like, they didn't butcher his car deliberately. Yes. I mean, it's frustration, but then there's, then there's that next level. And I think he just overstepped mm. the mark. And he, yeah, he needs to wind it in a bit and just appreciate where he is and the opportunities he's got before treating his, his staff as he has. Yeah, I think I think you both make fair points. I can see why why that would be annoying. I, I still think it's quite nice and, and refreshing, but I always kind of have an alternative opinion just to annoy everybody else. Um, the other thing I've seen him say in the press this week is that he's um, going to use his Macau experience to to try and navigate himself around Monaco. Obviously, Macau probably about 10 times more dangerous and, and closer to the walls and stuff like that than Monaco. Obviously, we know how legendary Monaco is as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how he performs um, this weekend. The last thing I want to talk about in Spain, Callum, is um, we saw that there was this kind of FIA team radio thing um, where Toto Wolf was ta- talking to race control, um, asking for blue flags, Nikita Mazepin, um, you know, getting in the way or, or not getting out of the way of, of Lewis Hamilton. Is that something you want to see more on the TV coverage? Obviously, we've already got team radios. Is is race control radio something we want to see? I know um, in uh, the WEC, World Endurance Championship, they often have, you know, the, the race director comes on and, and will say, you know, car 55 penalties sort of thing. But do you think maybe this team to, to race control um, dynamic and, and radio could work for, for TV coverage? And, and what did you think of it when you heard it? I absolutely loved it. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think you know, it caught everyone off guard. There was no announcement it was going to happen. There was no, I feel that's the sort of thing that F1 would build up and be like, this is going, we're going to start doing this. And it happened and everyone went, which took everyone a minute and everyone went, no, it was great. I think mm. it's really good. I think it just, it shows the side to F1 that maybe is quite guarded. And I think as fans, we always want to see more. So I'm all for that continuing in the future. And Joshua, how how far do we take it? Do we do we just have you know team bosses maybe arguing about something or asking for something, or do we have maybe these like you know thirty second conversations where maybe a race director Michael Massey is is explaining why maybe a punishment has been given or a penalty has been given to somebody? How far should it should it be taken? Do you think in the future? I don't know. I'm, I'm a massive fan of it. I think it's really interesting. You sort of you hear the drivers' radio, you hear all of that, but you don't really you sort of see clips of Toto Wolff or Christian Horner reacting to stuff, but you don't really see or hear their emotion unless they're on pit wall. Um, however, sceptically, I don't think it's going to carry on as long or as far as we want it to. Similarly to what happened with the driver's briefings, televised and drivers felt more guarded. They didn't really give off as much as they would normally do because they're worried about how it's going to come back on them. I think the same could happen with this. 
um, sort of the bigger personalities, Toto Wolf, Horner, all of them sort of figures don't want to bring their team or themselves into disrepute. And if what they do off t- like off TV with race directors and Michael Massey and everything like that, knowing they could be televised might hold back a bit and wait until they're safe um, mm. off camera and mic. So I want to go as far as it is sort of question every major talking point, everything that big incident, but will it, will it go that far? Skeptically, I, I'm not too sure. I think um, the way they've done it is the way they, it just kind of randomly popped up in the middle of the race. I think that's something that maybe they could continue with. Maybe we see it twice in a race or, you know, we don't want it kind of every single incident. We don't want an FIA radio, which is obviously, we didn't see that in Spain. So maybe, yeah, like once a race or, or once or twice, then, then that would be good. And obviously we have Sky who sometimes speak to the pit wall as well, which can sometimes be interesting, although they don't like to give too much away from there. Um, cool. I think that's kind of everything that we that we, um, we wanted to cover for Spain. Um, there's been quite a lot of news uh, come out of Formula One since um, the Spanish Grand Prix. And, and this kind of relates to it a little bit. Um, and it's we've got Formula One's governing body has launched a clampdown on flexible rear wings. Um, I mean, suspension, uh, uh, suspicion, sorry, the teams are bending the rules. And Lewis Hamilton claimed that Red Bull were using a bendy wing um, to increase their straight line speed. The FIA has told teams it's going to introduce um, kind of tests to make sure that these rear wings are sturdy and, and things like that um, from the 15th of June. Um, Callum, what do you think about this? Do you think this is something that actually needs to be clamped down or do, or do you think maybe it's Lewis Hamilton just trying to gain a little bit of an advantage over Red Bull? Well, I mean, we hadn't really heard too much about it until after this weekend. So I don't know if it's something that needs clamping down on. I think if anyone's breaking the rules, obviously, yes, it should be clamped down on and punished. Outside of that, I don't think it's affected anyone too much. It could well be Lewis Hamilton trying to find any advantage he can. And that's what makes him such a great or such a successful driver is that he will find and use any advantage which I think you have to do to be a champion. So I think... Oh, but I mean, yeah, it's, I have no problem with it. And then just looking into a little bit further into the article that I'm reading, there's Article 3.8 of the F1 regulation states that bodywork must be rigidly secured um, to the car pretty much. Um, so it looks like maybe there, there has been a little bit of a, a rule violation or maybe change there with the Red Bull cars. So I'm sure we'll see that come in um, later on in the year. And I don't think it's going to cause kind of too many problems. I don't think it's going to be this whole kind of scandal that we had last year with the, the Racing Point brake ducts, for example, or, or just the Racing Point car last year, for example. Um, so moving on then, um, Turkey has been cancelled this year. Um, I think it's been added to the, the UK's um, red list in terms of um, you know the travel restrictions because of COVID. Um, so we're now going to get a double header in Austria. So the French Grand Prix is now going to be a week earlier. That's going to happen on the 18th to the 20th of June. Um, and then we're going to get the Styrian Grand Prix on the 25th to the 27th of June. And then Austria um, on the 2nd to 4th of July. So we're going to get three races back to back. Joshua, obviously Austria was the season opener last year. We had a double, um, double Grand Prix. Well, you know, you know what I mean. Um, we had two consecutive races in Austria. That's that's where I'm trying to go with that. Um, do you think this this is going to be a success? And and that F1, I think, you know, we've criticised F1 before in this podcast for things that they've done, for example, with their TV graphics. But I think credit where it's due. You know, that they've they've known that Turkey was cancelled. They were like, okay, right, we're going to do this. We've got this to put in place. And I think credit goes to them, doesn't it? 100, it has to, and it's the safety of drivers, 
spectators, teams, everyone is more important than than putting a race on generally. Um, I think just for safety, it makes sense. Although it's, I mean, disappointing for Turkey and that they'll miss out again. Um, it's, yeah, it makes sense to have it sort of, again, in Austria, sort of keep it in that sort of region. Um, and I think safe, it's, it makes sense. And hopefully we just see as much excitement as we did in the first one. Because uh, we saw the last double header, we sort of had a great race to open it and then a more predictable one the second time around. So it's good news. I think, does it change the Grosjean Mercedes thing at all? I think he's still getting the, I think he's still getting the opportunity as well. I think I'm sure Mercedes tweeted something like, don't worry, Grosjean still gets his chance. I read somewhere that it clashed with an IndyCar race that weekend, oh, okay. French Grand Prix. So I don't know whether he'll still do it as his home race. If not, I mean, he still gets the opportunity. It's still great. But I mean, on this one, fair play to Formula <clears> One, just making sure we keep the calendar at the exact amount of races that we were promised as fans. Hmm. And I think it's also good. Um, I'm going to get your opinion, Callum, on, on triple headers. I'm just looking at the schedule here. I don't think uh, we have any other triple headers apart from this one. There is one triple header where we go to um, Belgium at the end of August, then to the Netherlands at the start of September, and then uh, Monza the week after that. But apart from that, that's the only triple header that we've got. Um, do you like triple headers? Do you want as much Formula One action as possible? Or do you quite enjoy having maybe a little bit of a break between races? Well, I think it depends on races. They are, I think, any triple header that involves France means you aren't going to be looking forward to the whole triple header. But I think, as, as, I mean, as a fan, you'd love a race every weekend, but it's not possible and it wouldn't be fair on the drivers, the teams, or the mechanics, all of that. So I think, so from a sort of neutral standpoint, I think triple headers should be there if you need them, but they shouldn't be relied upon. I mean, no more than one or two a year. But I, I mean, I'm me personally looking forward to seeing Austria twice as part of a triple header. And I think um, the other thing with that is logistically, triple headers are just easier in Europe because obviously we've got France, Austria, Austria, um, and then we're obviously going to have Belgium, Netherlands, Italy, all the European races, and obviously you can just drive across the continent fairly easily, um, or you could fairly drive easily drive across the continent fairly easy before the pandemic um so yeah austria is what is one that i like as well it, it's a track that i i really enjoyed last year obviously plenty of overtaking opportunities on it although you know it, it is unbelievably short there's still probably more overtaking opportunities than there is there is on, on there than, than some other tracks um joshua i suggested on twitter i put a tweet out the other day when the news came out saying why not mix the second Austria one up? Why not, you know, give us a reverse grid race or maybe try the sprint qualifying there before it goes to Silverstone? What, what are your thoughts on that? Are there anything that, that you would try? Because I'm not sure if you were here for the, the, um, the sprint qualifying discussion. So what, what would you try for that? Yeah, I, th- I think it, as fans, we like to see it. It's, you don't want to see the same race two weeks in a row, especially the same grid, um, same circuit, sorry. As fans, we'd love it. It would sort of be really interesting to see, change it up a bit. But will it? Because they've already promised it. You sort of, especially with Silverstone, you've got fans going. They've maybe booked on the bravado that they'll get to see this new format. Uh, so I'm not sure if it, will, if it will happen, but I'd love to see it. I mean, what's the harm in doing it on a almost a free, free weekend, really? Sort of, you've got two races at the same circuit, although on different names. You don't want the same race twice in a row for fans. Um, great opportunity will they execute it I'm not that confident 
And I suppose last year, that the difference between the two races, we had um, we had rain as well. We had, we had rain in qualifying, which mixed up the grid a little bit. Uh, Joshua, putting you on the spot, and, and Callum, I'll give you a chance to think as well. You can kind of come back to this. But Joshua, if you were head of Formula One and you were in charge of the, the second Austrian Grand Prix or the, the Styrian Grand Prix, as I think it's going to be, um, what would you do to try and mix up the format a little bit? See, I, I like, I, I mean, it's my idea. It's not anything that they've spoken about but change up the qualifying format and don't do a sprint race, but give each rather than sort of multiple um, rounds or multiple qualifying sessions, you give each team, each driver gets two laps, two hot laps of the circuit. And then you sort of look at the times and you can take their fastest time um, of each lap, then reverse it. Whoever's the slowest gets it. And then you sort of, then hopefully we'll get a mix up grid because you sort of see qualifying the fastest cars, I mean, it does make sense in speaking it, but some sort of thing. I'll do a graphic or a tweet making it a bit better. But change up the format to have sprint sprint qualifying rather than a sprint race. Sort of two laps of the circuit each, something like that. It's a little bit kind of similar to the, so sometimes on the F1 game, you can have like a one-shot qualifying sometimes. Where similar, you just get one lap. Similar. Two, those two shots, so each team has a fair yeah. chance of beating, beating everyone else. And Callum, is there anything that, again, if you were in charge of that second second race weekend, anything that you would try? Um, I think if you'd have known it was going to be a double header before you had chosen where to do the sprint qualifyings, I think you 100% would choose to do a sprint qualifying Austria. So I think if they're going to make a change, it, it should be to trial the sprint qualifying Austria because then we get both. We get a weekend where it's normal and then we get the Styrian Grand Prix where it's uh, sprint qualifying because I think at times I think the, the difference between the races like last year there was such a contrast the first race was incredible and the second race was a little bit flat mm. so I think maybe to try and avoid that this year you could try the sprint qualifying mm. my only kind of suggestion is, as Josh came up with his um, his kind of hot lap idea is maybe give based on where they are in the standings. So Mercedes get one hot lap to, to go around, whereas Williams might get a few and, and they can make changes. There's no kind of park ferme between, you know, the hot laps and, and maybe they get a few to try and mix it up a little bit. I don't know, something like that could work. Who knows? Um, the last thing that we were going to talk about um, is this new McLaren Gulf Air livery, which has come out this week, which I think looks absolutely brilliant. Um, the overalls, the race overalls, I'm not too sure about, um, but the livery is, is absolutely superb. Joshua, um, your, your initial reaction when you saw that that McLaren livery for, for this weekend, it's just a one-off livery for the Monaco Grand Prix. I mean, first of all, it's very nice, isn't it? I mean, it's it's not like you've got the orange, you've got the light blue. It's not traditionally uh, McLaren colours, but it's great. I mean, it's a bit of fun, isn't it? You get the history of Monaco, and you get then get this one-off livery that I mean, fans will enjoy. Hopefully, it looks good on track, and it's just a bit of fun. And it's it suits a team like McLaren. You've got two very big personality drivers; they'll love it. Fans will love it. TV will love it. Sort of that's all you'll hear all weekend, yeah. won't you? From especially from when we watch the Sky commentators, we'll sort of be talking about it all weekend. So a bit of fun on a, on a historic race, historic track. And why not? <laughs> Just simply, yeah, why, exactly. why not? <laughs> um, and Callum, uh, I'll, I'll take it back to the Austria conversation that I was having. Um, I wouldn't change any of the format. I would just have a retro livery weekend where every team brings a retro livery to the, uh, to the circuit. What about that, Callum? Uh, it's all fun and games until you. Hats, and you've only been around for five years. 
Um, <laughs> I didn't think of that. That's a good one. But no, I think that would be, that would be a great idea. Hass would have to get what their, their rich energy livery back out. Oh, no. Over the black and gold. Oh, no. <laughs> Do rich energy even still exist as a company? Oh, I mean, they're around exactly somewhere, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we're not sponsored here. Other energy drinks, you know, are available. Let's just make that clear. Um, so yeah, that that should be all good. Looking forward to see to seeing that McLaren out on track. Um, let's talk Monaco then. Um, Callum, I'll come to you first. I uh, assume you've both played the F1 game um, on the controller. I find it absolutely impossible to get around Monaco, but I've got like a, a little wheel and pedal set up just to the left of me here. And I actually managed to, I, I, I managed to complete the full Grand Prix, actually. I was quite surprised. I came like 18th or something like that. And obviously I'm, I'm in my team. So, you know, my car wasn't great, but Callum, what do you think? What do you think of Monaco? Are you ever able to drive around it? And um, what do you think of it as a track overall? I can't drive around it in one piece. No, I've, I, I generally just, uh, like I've, I've got the F1 game to sort of, sort of when I'm bored I'll, I'll put it on but um, no I struggle obviously using a controller I do just tend to lose a front wing at every corner and lose an insane mm. amount of time at any sort of hairpin but um, as a circuit I love the spectacle the race can sometimes leave a little bit to be desired but I think when you get a special race at a special track like Monaco it's so incredible and I'm just hoping that this weekend we'll have we'll have the contrast between sort of just how impressive qualifying is how quick you're throwing these cars around this small circuit and then we'll get a, a race that just makes it a special weekend which is what it deserves after we're well, missing last year hmm. jo- Joshua are you expecting anything anything from the weekend in particular um, you know what are you looking forward to seeing about Monaco I'm personally looking forward to the the actual Formula 2 races, because they always tend to kind of get their elbows out and there's usually some kind of, you know, traffic jam around at the uh, the Lowe's hairpin as well. And, you know, there's all sorts of heroics going on um, all over the place in Formula 2. So I'm looking forward to, to probably those races a bit more than the Formula 1 races. Anything that, that you're looking forward to in particular, Josh? It, it's a, in terms of history, in terms of like, the beauty of it, it's an amazing track. Um, but I think qualifying is going to be the most important session, as we all know, because... Grid position is so important, and I I often think that you sort of if you start Q if you start P one, you get around that first corner, you get a good start. Barring a sort of tire blowout or engine failure or something, you're going to win the race. So I think qualifying is what I'm m- more looking forward to rather than the race. Uh, yeah. In this instance, just because it's it's going to be vital, and you'll sort of see Hamilton, Hamilton and Verstappen and Bottas. Mainly as the three going for it, maybe you can stick Paris in that conversation. Um, all vying for P1, and I don't know. It's again, I think it's going to come down to come down to qualifying and who gets the best start. And Verstappen started well on Sundays, so I, I yeah, I think I think he'll. I think Red Bull and Verstappen will be desperate for desperate for high sort of P1, P2 um, grid start on Sunday. And then let's get on to our predictions then. Callum, starting with you, we always start with our, our podium and then go on to a wild prediction a little later on. So just, just hold that thought for a minute. But first of all, your podium. Tell us um, who's going to finish in the top three in Monaco this weekend. Well, okay, I'll start from third. And I think I think it'll be a shootout between, obviously, Sergio Perez and Valtteri Bottas for third. But I think Perez has been impressive in Monaco in the past. He had a podium there in 2016 with Force India. 
So I think this could be the weekend we see Sergio Perez on his first Red Bull podium. Second and first, it'll be tough, I think, just because it is must-win for Verstappen and Red Bull are strong there. I can see Verstappen taking victory. Uh, Hamilton will be second because he is he's incredible around Monaco. So I'd imagine it will be Verstappen in first, Hamilton second, Sergio Perez third. Good stuff. I'm going to mix things up a little bit and, and my kind of top three sinks in with my wild prediction. Um, I'm going for a Verstappen win. I've got Charles Leclerc in second and Sergio Perez in third. Um, and I've also written underneath my, I've got a wild prediction, but I think that there's not going to be a Mercedes on the podium because there's going to be a Mercedes collision. And I think the tension is going to heighten a little bit between between Verstappen and Bottas. I think they'll be starting next to each other on the, uh, on the grid, whether that's front row or second row. We're yet to find out, but it will definitely, I think they're going to be next to each other on the grid. Um, and I think just they're just going to go into Sandbox. Something's going to happen in, into turn one. And and that's why neither of them are going to finish on the podium. And then I feel like, yeah, Charles Leclerc is just going to, you know, Ferrari are just kind of there, just kind of hanging behind the podium places a little bit, ready to kind of just just pounce if, if they can and, and when they can. And I think Charles Leclerc is going to, going to do that and, and potentially get a second. And Max Verstappen will probably win the race by like a minute or something like that. Um, Joshua, what's your podium prediction? I think this is the first time we're all going to be in agreement of who wins the Grand Prix. I've also gone for a Verstappen win. Because, um, again, as I said, it's so important in race start. And I think he's he's just that bit quicker on Sundays that lights out. And I think I think he'll beat Hamilton. I think he'll, he'll beat Hamilton to the first corner and then go from there. Um, I've also got Perez on the podium. Um, so I've gone Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez. Um, again, he's... I just, I just don't, I don't see Bottas as a real challenger this this year, if he ever has been. And I think Perez will have a good, good weekend. I'm hoping for some drama though. I'd love to see sort of not like not like a dangerous crash, but the front runners out, and we sort of see the likes of Perez, Leclerc, Norris, um, Ricardo challenge to win to win in Monaco. How great would that be? Um, rather than that boring sort of Hamilton Verstappen. Bottas podium, but Verstappen to win um, in front of Hamilton and Perez. And you make a good point there. My kind of Leclerc prediction could be anybody. It could be Norris, it could be Ricardo, it could be even Sainz as well. So tonight it could be anyone. Um, we're going to get on to our wild predictions now. All three of us, before we started, agreed that Nikita Mazepin will be out on lap one. Um, that's not even a wild prediction. We just can't see that happening. Um, I don't know if any of you guys, are, if you look on TikTok or Twitter, um, you see these kind of people playing the F1 game and it's like Mazepin in Monaco and it's just people just bouncing off the walls all over the place, which is harsh. It's harsh, but it's also quite funny. Um, so so, yeah, Mazepin out on lap one. Um, Joshua, if, if Mazepin goes out on lap one, how's it going to happen? Is he going to lose it himself? Is he going to hit someone? What do you think? I think both, really, is he? Sort of, he'll go down the <laughs> corner at stupid like He'll sort of lose control of the car and smack into the TP or whoever's in front of him and cause a mass collision and red car, uh, red flags, red flags probably. I, I, I don't know. We, we joke and he, he has spun, I think, every weekend or he's made a mistake every every weekend and um it's, it's a weird one isn't it we sort of we know why he's in the sport it's to bring it's to bring money into into that team um and it's he's not going to go anywhere with with his dad still still funding the team and it's it's sad because he is denying other better drivers opportunities but if they if he if it keeps going this way there's surely got to come a point where it's it's racing over money um 
Mm. Yeah, I, I think it, it, this could be a bad one for him. Maybe, maybe sort of crash out and take two or three cars with him. Callum, do you think maybe? I mean, I'm I'm always just going to play devil's advocate. I'm, I'm the host, so I, I'm always going to do that. And do you think maybe people are being a little bit harsh on on Mazepin? You know, the car does seem difficult to drive and things like that. Or do you think you know this is all kind of very fair as well, considering you know his past that he's got in Formula Two and, and other things? That the obvious thing that we know that happened last year as well. I mean, I don't I don't want to be the person to defend Mazepin, and luckily I don't have to be because. I don't, I, I don't think there is a way to defend him. I don't think he's no. anywhere near F1 level. I can, I mean, I can see him with some uh, heroics into Sandovot. That'll be it. Just, yeah. Try, try and take 19th in the first corner and that'll be it. But um, yeah, I don't. Monaco will really expose him. And even, even if by some minor miracle he makes it past lap one, blue flags will be horrific. He struggles with them at the best of times let alone Monaco, where there's one racing line. There's not really a lot of space otherwise. It's going to be interesting. I, I think um, I'm, I'm certainly not defending him. I want to make that very clear. I'm, I'm kind of in the camp of, of you two. I'm pretty much every Formula One fan on the planet, so not defending him any stretch. And, and yeah, I think uh, I, I like seeing the, the funny stuff as well. It's always good to have kind of maybe not like a meme driver kind of on the grid as well. But yeah, um, let's move on then to our world predictions. We obviously, we've mentioned that we don't think Mazepin's going to make it past that one. Callum, we'll go to you first. What's your kind of wild or wild or differential prediction for this week? I, I don't think it's maybe a wild card. So I'll, I think it's hard to get a wild card at Monaco. So I'll go for a very specific sort of prediction. And that'll be Charles Leclerc in fifth and Daniel Ricciardo in sixth. Both a step ahead of Class B. I just think... Jolpez, it's really unlucky. He's never finished an F1 race around Monaco through not well. I mean, last year he was uh, twenty nineteen. He was sort of put on the back foot with the bad qualifying that Ferrari sort of gave him, and then he had the, the um, brake failure in twenty eighteen. But I think him and Ricardo, who has won at Monaco and should have won at Monaco twice, will be a class ahead of everyone else. And then, uh, Joshua, what about you? What are you thinking as your differential wildcard prediction for this weekend? Again, it's, it's really hard to predict sort of something major. Um, but I think Russell's going to make you three. Um, just, have a, just have a feeling. I don't know what it is. Um, he's sort of done it before. He's sort of getting there now. He's edge of point. And it's, it's almost sort of when, not if now. Um, and I think if he if he makes Q3, he's going to score points. So I'll say Q3 for now, and then then if he gets points, I'll I'll claim victory as well. I mean, you're not wrong there. There's always some kind of heroic story that comes out of Monaco. There's always somebody that writes a headline in one way or another. So George Russell getting into Q3 would certainly kind of fit that narrative perfectly. Um, my uh, prediction. Obviously, I talked about my podium and, and the Mercedes collision. Um, last week, Callum McAvoy said in Spain there were going to be no safety cars. I've gone for five safety cars during the race. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be what a 70-lap race, something like that. So that's a safety car nearly every 10 laps. Um, but I just think we're going to... I think just it's it just going to be packed full of incidents, I think. I think we're actually going to get quite an exciting race. We've had a couple of these drivers never drive at Monaco before. Um, I'm sure maybe Mazepin and, and Schumacher may have driven there in Formula 2, but I'm not sure. I know Sonoda may have 
he wouldn't have driven there in Formula 2. Um, and I don't think Formula 3 went there in 2019. So he's probably never driven there before. Um, so I just think because of that, there's probably, you know, Lando Norris doesn't really have much experience there. Um, you know, he, he was there in 2019 for, for the first time in an F1 car. So I just think because of that, there could be some mistakes that are going to cause safety cars, not necessarily crashes, but they, they could even just be engine failures or, or like I said, people hitting the barriers or, or whatever. So that's certainly going to be interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that's everything. Um, we're going to return after Monaco um, before the Azerbaijan Grand Prix on the 4th to the 6th of June. So we're going to be previewing that one and looking back at Monaco and hopefully laughing at Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> um, so uh, thank you very much to Josh, uh, Joshua and to Callum for joining me. Hopefully we'll have uh, Callum McAvoy back as well uh, to talk about Monaco afterwards and he may predict like another Sergio Perez win or something. Um, could you imagine if Sergio Perez wins? Callum's going to be absolutely all over it when we come back. So uh, if that happens, that'll be quite good, won't it? Um, so yeah, we'll see you in just under um, a fortnight's time ahead of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Looking forward to that one. Looking forward to Monaco this weekend. Um, yeah, thank you very much everybody for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to, to like the video hit the subscribe button all that good stuff um, if you're on Spotify Apple Podcasts whatever leave us a review follow us subscribe to us share us on Twitter um, all that good stuff we're obviously on Vable.com as well uh, you'll see Callum, Josh, Joshua and myself writing stuff um, over there uh, over the weekends so that's www.vable.com forward slash motorsports um, and yeah I think that's pretty much everything thank you very much for listening um, enjoy the Monaco Grand Prix enjoy your bank holiday weekend after that and we will see you ahead of Azerbaijan See you later. Goodbye.